This is the Risky Mix podcast, where we speak with those people changing the mix in the financial services industry. Addressing those challenging topics, embracing diverse perspectives and bringing authentic conversation. Our aim is to inspire and motivate the finance sector towards change, creating an inclusive industry that we can all be proud to be a part of. On this week's Remote Risky Mix podcast, we're joined by Maurice Rose, Senior Manager in PwC's Insurance Regulatory Practice and Chair of LINK, the LGBTQ plus insurance network. Maurice recently made Intelligent Insurer's top 25 DNI champions in the insurance sector and is here today to speak to us about Link's mission, the challenges faced by LGBTQ plus individuals in the industry and where companies can better support their communities. Thank you so much for joining us on the Remote Risky Mix podcast, Maurice. No problem. Thank you for having me. Of course. Um, so we love to dive in with an icebreaker question. So the question we have for you initially today is what three words describe you? Three words. Gosh, it's difficult fitting it into three. Um, <laughs> probably I would go with measured, driven and fabulous. We'll go with that. Give us some, some rationale behind those three choices. What's, what's the, uh, yeah, give us some background on those. Well, I think in terms of uh, a lot of the feedback I get when I, through the work I've with clients at PwC and throughout my career, I've always feel I've had a, a level head, been quite measured, calm, collective, yeah. um, don't necessarily get uh, phased or flustered so I'd probably say that driven um, you know I'm very career orientated driven in what I do from an insurance perspective a bit of a secret insurance geek as well um, are we all I think <laughs> most most people when they leave university don't necessarily think about a career in insurance and many of us fall into it and I think I fell into that into that bucket as well but since working in insurance um, from day one you know I very much loved it and you know lived and breathed it and grown throughout so I think you know there's that driven aspect from my career perspective but then also as well from a diversity inclusion perspective as well and the chairmanship of Link really driven there to try and make a difference in the insurance industry and if I'm honest, it's quite a lot of work doing it off the side of the desk. So you have to be driven as well to make sure you're mm. balancing your, uh, you know, your DNI obligations, but also as well that um, from a professional perspective and making sure you find that balance and also yeah. you know, the uh, the social life and life in general, fitting it all in. So you have to be quite driven to to do that. And then in terms of the fabulous, I think you know I, I always like to you know, bring people together to have fun with what we do from, you know, both an insurance perspective, but also from a link and a DNI perspective. I think it's important as well to work hard, play hard, to, you know, build on relationships, make connections, um, and have fun while you're doing it. Couldn't agree Great. more. That was that was fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Um so we'll, you know, we naturally we're going to talk a lot about DNI in this episode. But before we kind of dive into the link side of your work, perhaps you can tell us about your, yeah, your career in insurance um, and your your time at, at PwC and prior to that as well. No, absolutely. So I think, as I mentioned, um, I didn't necessarily have um, a forward-looking view when I was at university of uh, wanting to work in insurance or really know much about insurance or the sector, if I'm honest. Um, I did, in terms of my academic background, uh, I did a degree, degree in biochemistry, 
Um, but if I'm perfectly honest, I didn't really enjoy it. Um, and towards the end of my degree thinking I don't really necessarily want to be stuck in a lab in a basement somewhere on my own I want to be out working with people collaborating um, you know learning something new using the skills that I'd learned but leveraging that and uh, really uh, you know, doing something different so I fell into insurance um, on graduating I started at Old Mutual uh, the South African um, investment and uh, pensions and uh, long-term savings insurance company um, and uh, worked there in the group head office um, and, you know, just fell in love with insurance from, from that point. Um, I went from there to a lawyer's managing agency, which at the time was uh, Taurus, which is now Starstone. And I think that's where I developed my love of the, the London markets and really started to become interested in the London market and Lloyd's. Um, you know, often when I'm speaking to uh, people from across the market or new to coming to the market, it's important to PR actually the variety of roles and the variety of opportunities. And I think mm. that's one of the great things within the London market in terms of the risks that are underwritten, the way business is conducted. It is quite unique. And so I think that's a fantastic selling point. And I think my time at Taurus really taught me that. Um, and then from there um, to AIG, and then from there to the uh, PRA supervising a portfolio of London market firms. So again, continuing with that London market uh, background. And then finally, bringing it up to date uh, to PwC. So there I work in the insurance regulatory practice, mainly advising clients in the London markets on prudential issues. So that can raise, range from things such as uh, corporate restructuring, um, internal models, um, validation, uh, Brexit, still you know, surprisingly mm. quite high up on the agenda. Mm. But then as well, helping clients navigate the often complex prudential regulatory world um, and supporting them with their interactions in the regulator. Fantastic. I mean, that's such such varied experience that you've got there, both within the industry and then obviously on the regulation side as well, and then, then back into now and now into consulting. Um, it's fantastic. And then obviously, you know, you have developed this um, almost parallel career in sort of the DNI space. And so, how did you get involved with that? And how do you have the time to sort of develop your thinking around that and your strategies around that alongside what is clearly quite a, a demanding? career so I think again in terms of the DNI side I fell into really and mm. I think it was during my time at, um, uh, at Lloyd's of London um, and uh, went to uh, an event um, and uh, Link was there uh, representing the, the LGBTQ plus spectrum um, and I can't exactly remember the talk or the topic of discussion, but there was a, a panel event um, followed by some drinks after. I got talking to a few of the uh, committee members from Link, got to know a bit more about Link itself, and then subsequently started to go to, to more events and more, um, more panel events, more keynote speaker events, and really started to understand a bit more about Link, what they've been doing. And then from there, started to actually think this would be quite interesting for me to get involved in so I um, uh, put myself forward to join the committee I joined the committee was part of the committee um, for a few years and then probably around two and a half years ago um, I stepped up to be chair um, of Link so I've been doing that for over two years now um, and uh, you know it's been a fantastic opportunity to learn about the DNI side and also mm -hmm. I think apply some of my you know, can-do consultancy attitude to actually helping to drive things forward as well. 
um, and to also leverage my networks there to help drive change across the industry. Um, so I think there's some synergies that could be found between both the work I do at PwC and also Link, and you know they do complement each other um, in many ways. In terms of finding time, I think it's just a case of you know, being disciplined, and as I said at the beginning, having to be you know driven and actually um, be passionate about it. And often, when you're passionate and driven and organised, it's easier to do these sorts of things and to find the time and. I mentioned, you know, I'm a bit of an insurance geek and I love that side of things. So I love, you know, the client work and the PwC side. Um, but then also I'm very passionate about DNI, mm-hmm. and particularly from an LGBTQ plus perspective, given um, I myself am a, a gay man. And again, having that, you know, purse experience and that passion, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily feel like a chore, I think. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. And maybe it'd be it'd be good to hear just a bit a bit more about link really and kind of what the what the mission of the the group is and and how you support members what your membership looks like as well um and how you know if that's changed over time at all or if it's you know always had the kind of one one focus it'd be good to hear about that yeah no, absolutely so uh link was set up um in the summer of 2013 um, and it was originally set up um, in you know, in quite an embryonic, informal way um, through the establishment of um, a steering committee following an event at the Chartered Insurance Institute in London. And often it's difficult to get these networks off the ground. So they mm-hmm. have to start in an embryonic way. We got together a group of interested, passionate individuals. Um, and that's really where, where it started. And it's it's grown from strength to strength since its inception. Um, So we now have over 1,700 members uh, from across the insurance industry, from all aspects of the insurance industry. So it's not just brokers and carriers. It's also those who are affiliated with the insurance industry or part of the insurance ecosystem. So it could be claims adjusters. It could be professional services firms like myself, PwC, law firms who have a particular insurance lens. Um, So it's open really to anyone and everyone within the insurance sector. And I think it's important to say that it's not just focused on LGBTQ plus individuals. It's focused on the allies as well and the support you get from allies across the sector. And that's something that's really powerful and probably we'll touch on later. Mm-hmm. But in terms of Link's mission, so Link's mission is to make the insurance industry the employer of choice for the LGBTQ plus community. And really, we're trying to do that through the attraction and retention and development of talent into and within the insurance industry, working and collaborating with market participants and firms, also as well the wider LGBT community and diversity networks. And also as well this year, we're trying to focus a bit more on supporting and championing new and innovative products. And I think that's fantastic given the sector we're in and often innovation is a hot topic within the insurance sector and actually thinking this through a diversity lens and actually are the products we're offering meeting the needs of our customers across all aspects of diversity inclusion so again we're looking to work through that particular lens and actually potentially drive change um, and make the insurance industry more inclusive from a products perspective as well it's amazing uh, a, lot, a lot of work on your plate there uh, Maurice I'm not quite sure yes. how you manage it um, but very yeah really impressive and and if we have listeners who um, would like to get involved in, in Link and become members uh, presumably it's not exclusively London markets um, it's, it's free for members to, to get involved is it as well? 
Yep, absolutely. Um, so I think in terms of looking to get involved, I'd say uh, sign up to our newsletter via our website. Um, you can just easily Google um, insurance LGBTQ plus network and it's the first item that pops up. So have a look at our website. You'll find more about uh, what we do, our mission, um, the committee, our advisory board and the wealth of information there. So I'd encourage uh, listeners to sign up to the mailing list. As you say, it's not exclusively for the London market. Um, it's you know it's cross industry. So uh, again, trying to reach people in different sectors within the insurance industry, and also as well, we're keen to expand beyond the insurance industry and actually mm-hmm. for people outside the industry to to get involved with what we're doing because particularly yeah. from a uh, talent perspective and attraction and t- retention of talent, we need to promote Mm. the insurance industry we need to bring in new talent we need to bring in people from different industries that necessarily haven't considered insurance as a career and we need to promote insurance as an attractive and diverse place to work and so to meet many of the initiatives that are in train at the moment from a um, you know you only need to look at the Lloyd's blueprint and the, the future at Lloyd's work and the talent work and the culture aspect there and bringing in people from different industries around digitalization automation and data we need people from different industries to come in and help support and move move the uh, move insurance forward so again we're keen not just to have a you know have a, a laser focus on insurance but also um, more broadly um, our rents, uh, you know, the majority of them are, are, are free. Um, we do sometimes charge um, a, a nominal fee, but that's always for uh, charitable charitable purposes. Okay, um, so all of that money will go to, to charity. Um, and I think a, a large focus that we have as well is not just on the education side, but also on the social and networking side. Yeah. Um, we do quite a lot in terms of networking events, um, Obviously, that was more difficult during the pandemic, but now things are opening up. We're looking to do more in person. Um, we're looking to, or we will be hosting um, a belated Pride party um, in September. So again, uh, listeners, keep a lookout for that on our website and our mailing list. Um, we normally host a, a Christmas and a summer party as well. So we'll definitely be looking to do more of that. Great. But I think it's, I think it's important that. Uh, we not just focus on the educational aspect but it's about creating that environment for people to come together to meet other individuals from across the market who have a interest in diversity inclusion or otherwise and bring people together really yeah that sounds fantastic tell us a little bit about um, the lgbtq plus experience in the insurance industry and i guess what what it is that link is there to to help um, educate about or or support people through what what is it like to be um, LGBTQ plus in the insurance industry? I think that's a, a really uh, for that question I think it requires quite a nuanced response in terms of actually the lived experiences of different individuals mm-hmm. across the market and across the insurance industry should I say. Um, I think it's probably fair to say that uh, DNI more broadly and also as well from an LGBTQ plus perspective has evolved and developed and I think it is certainly as an industry we are better placed now than we were um, five ten years ago I think notwithstanding there's still work to do but mm-hmm. there's always work to do across all aspects of of DNI. I think in terms of my response that it has to be relatively nuanced I think it really does depend on uh, the organisation you work for, um, you know, your 
background and experience and also as well I think that intersectionality aspect is is really important when it comes to your lived experience and how you have felt as an individual within the insurance industry so to give an example um, from my perspective I don't feel that I have suffered um, from a career or development perspective because of my uh, sexual orientation and the fact that I um, identify as LGBTQ+. Um, but I think that's partially because in many regards I, I I fit in and I think particularly as well if we look at the, the London market which has traditionally been quite um, male orientated um, individuals from a particular socioeconomic background as well. Um, I think in that regard I'm white, I'm male, you know, I'm happy to, you know, wear a suit. Um, I think I probably do blend in to what would, you know, potentially say is the norm um, of the of the industry. Whereas I think for someone, for example, um, who has you know, a different diversity characteristic. So if we take, for example, someone who is uh, female who identifies as LGBTQ+, they not only have the diversity issues that come with uh, being female but then there's the layer of being um, LGBTQ plus that's, that's on top so again I think it's not just around you know that aspect of diverse inclusion and gender it could be around disability it could be around ethnicity so I think it really does depend on the, the many layers and the complex layers of you as an individual as to your uh, lived experiences um, I think Whilst there has been massive improvements, I think it does really, uh, you know, differ across the sector based on the organisation you work for. And uh, I think also importantly, there's the jurisdictional element and firms operate in London who um, have offices in different uh, locations globally as well, mm-hmm. um, have, you know, the issue of, of geography there to, to deal right. with. And in, in many jurisdictions, um, insurers operate where actually, um, you know, it could be uh, a case of uh, an employee f- uh, facing the death penalty for um, identifying as LGBTQ+. So there's that, yeah. that geography issue there that I think we have to be very aware and uh, to actually, I think there's a role for firms as well to mm. to help drive forward inclusion in those those particular geographies. But it does differ, I think, from firm to firm and from um, uh, from you know even within the insurance industry. I think you know, potentially the London market is a bit further behind, for example, uh, the life or health sector. Mm. Um, and then if I look at, for example, professional services, I think you know they're probably further ahead. And if I look at PwC and um, the professional services fe- sector, they've been talking around DNI for probably a bit longer than we have in um, insurance. Um, but you know, I think from my experience, I've never had an issue. But I'm very aware and alive to many who have. And I mm. think it's with my role in link and you know with the support of the committee that we need to drive forward change for those individuals in the insurance industry and you know you do get horror stories sometimes and um not na- I'm, uh, you know not going to name names but uh, uh, an insurance company um was looking to host a um a pride event a, a few years ago and uh, they had posters uh, across the office and uh, one evening they were uh, torn down and defaced um, wow. Another another office put up um, pride balloons um, a few years ago, and again they were they were burst. Um, so you know there is still an under underlying level of discrimination um, 
I think it's fair to say as a result of the minority, um, but I think it still does exist. And I think we need to talk around the issues that, you know, are faced by, you know, people across the market with that, uh, you know, intersexual lens as well. It's um, it's just incredible to think that, that those types of things even still happen today. It mm. just always shocks me. Um Firstly, and then I suppose it's an interesting point you make on, you know, because you are a white male, uh, you wear a suit. Actually, visibly, you fit in quite quite well with mm-hmm. with with the Lloyd's um, demographic. I suppose was there ever um, was there any challenges around coming out to to your colleagues and the people you work with? I know we'd spoken about coming out, haven't we, as, as graduates before? Um, mm-hmm. It'd be good to hear about your experience there, and um, and also the experience of maybe the younger members who are in Link and how their experience of, of coming out was. Yeah, absolutely. So I think from you know from my experience, when you come into the workplace, it is you know. A very difficult decision and it's something as well that you are very aware of um, when you do start a new organization or you know you move teams or um, you move roles and I think it's something that's often overlooked in terms of people see coming out as a you know a once in a lifetime uh, event you know to your parents friends family or whatever but actually is something that is constantly happening in in lgbtq plus individuals life so every time you start a new job there is that that element of you know coming out in order to be your true and authentic self and for me it was always uh you know a consideration it's something that i was always very aware of and thought about and you do have to sometimes make a uh you know, a judgment call around, you know, the right time. And it takes a bit of a bit of time to assess the lay of the land of the organization and the team mm-hmm. um, that you work for. So it's not an automatic and easy decision. I think, you know, and I'm quite a, a strong level-headed person who, you know, is, is proud of my, uh, of my sexuality. But for many, that is a more difficult conversation. Um, and I think it's often driven by, you know, the team you work within, the support of your managers. I've been always very lucky in terms of all the organisations I've worked for, the management team I've worked with. They've always been hugely supportive of me as an individual. Um, so it's never been an issue, but it is always a consideration. And, you know, every time, um, you know, you, you meet someone new, um, you know, this is both in work and outside of work, you constantly have to think around actually what what you should be saying and how it will be perceived or interpreted um so you know even down to you know things such as when you're starting a a job talking around you know your personal life and your relationships and that sort of thing and actually you know it is assumed often that you know when you start a you know start a job if someone asks you know how's your wife how's your girlfriend that sort of thing and you know not that I, you know, not that I have a, you know, have an issue with saying actually, um, you know, I, 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 I don't have a girlfriend or a wife. Um, but again, that can be, you know, a difficult conversation mm-hmm. for many, and many will actually just, you know, potentially go along with that um, mm. for for months and potentially years as well. And I think, and to touch on your point around the the younger members, what we often see is that. And particularly at the graduate level, individuals are 
very much out and proud at university or college. Um, and then when coming into the into the industry, they often go back into the closet because they don't necessarily know how their sexual orientation will be perceived um, or their gender identity. And therefore, they go back into the closet and they're not able to be their authentic selves. Mm. And that has huge implications for the individual, but also as well for the organisation. And there's been numerous studies around, you know, being able to be out at work and actually your levels of happiness, engagement at work and also productivity. Mm. And ultimately, if you're able to bring your whole self to work, be your authentic self, you're going to be more productive. And that's a benefit to the organization as well. So there is a, a business case for this and across all aspects of diversity as well, in fact. Um, and so it's really important that firms do start to think about the commercial implications of this and not that, yeah. you know, of course, it's the right thing to do, but also as well, there are commercial implications. Um, and we often see as well that many graduates now are differentiating on firm stance around diversity inclusion. Mm -hmm. So having your diversity inclusion, you know, policy and what you're doing in that arena front and centre is very important because actually graduates now are differentiating on that basis. And many of the salaries from a graduate perspective are harmonised across the market now. So choosing between firms they will look at things such as a firm stance on diversity inclusion or whether a firm has an lgbt uh, network and it's yeah. not just around diversity things around climate change for example and what mm. firms are doing you know in that arena and we need to be uh, you know aware of when it comes to attracting talent making sure that we're promoting all the great work we're doing but then also as well realizing where there's gaps yeah absolutely i was just thinking about your comment about you know every time that you move teams or, or change a job and, you know, um, people coming into the market these days or, you know, millennials have been in the market for so 10, 15 years are constantly doing that every two years, you know, it's sort of like a lift and shift somewhere else. Um, and it must be so emotionally exhausting to have to either, you know, think about whether or not I can have this conversation with this team member or this manager or to have to try and suppress that and be somebody that you're not. Um, I guess what what can you know team members and em employers and managers think about when they do welcome a new team member and you know that person may potentially I mean it's not just being LGBTQ plus it, it's it could be mental health it, there's, there's a whole variety of different things but but how how do we as an industry welcome that inclusion and, and be warmer and more open to allowing those conversations to happen? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, that's a great question. I think it's around being inclusive from from day one, and I think it's around using inclusive language, um, and it's about you know, for example, making sure new joiners are aware of you know, diversity initiatives or networks across the organisation. I often see it works quite well that uh, as part of an individual's induction period that um, they're provided with information around employee resource groups and what the organisation is doing in relation to diversity inclusion. And that then automatically breaks down, you know, numerous barriers, because if in the first week of joining a firm, you're told actually, you know, there's these initiatives in train, there are these networks to be part of it automatically makes you feel more welcome so I definitely mm -hmm. encourage firms to think about that from an onboarding perspective but also as well throughout their recruitment process as well um, when it comes to 
ensuring that the recruitment process is uh, you know inclusive um that firms are working with and putting pressure on um recruiters to ensure that there's diversity throughout the supply chain as well um so i think you know there's that 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 talent uh that talent attraction part and the onboarding, which is really important. But then it's around inclusive language within the team. It's also as well about calling out bad behaviours if you mm-hmm. do see it as a as a manager and actually taking a stand um, to uh, call out inappropriate or bad behaviours. You know, I can I, I can imagine how horrific it must be for, for example, an LGBT person who's joined a. Uh, joined a team and you know if you were to think around that team um, throwing around homophobic or Mm. um, derogatory comments that must be so awful for that individual who identifies as lgbtq plus and what would be needed in that situation would be for the manager to take a stand to call that behavior out and actually let the individuals know that that isn't acceptable and to stand up for the individual um, who, who has joined the team so i think it's really important to call out bad behavior when we see it and then it's you know simple things as well in terms of if you do work with someone who you know identifies as lgbtq plus and has come out it's about asking questions it's about being interested in you know them um, and you know what it means to them to identify as lgbtq plus and you know simple things such as you know raising awareness from your perspective um, getting involved in initiatives, going to events, showing your support. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing more powerful than, you know, team members or management coming to an event to, you know, support you as an individual. Um, so I'd say, you know, I'd encourage people, you know, to do that. And often, you know, it's not a hard ask. And I think particularly, you know, at Link, I mentioned that we do quite a lot from an educational perspective, but we do quite a lot from a social networking perspective. And, you know, it, it's not hard work to, you know, to to get your team along to say, come on, you know, let's, you know, we're throwing this great event, come along for a few glasses of wine and to catch up and meet a few interesting people. You know, coming to those sorts of things is really important as well um, to show yeah. your support. Um, so, yeah, I think that, you know, there's a, there's a lot people can do, um, but I think it's also around that that onboarding process as well is really important yeah Yeah. some really yeah really great suggestions there Maurice and I suppose one thing is it's worth kind of touching on I suppose it was it was pride month in June and we saw lots of fantastic uh rainbow flags all over social media and things like that and you know I think that feels like a a good thing for us to be doing in the industry but I suppose it would be good to get your thoughts on you know is is that enough? Is that a is that more of a, a kind of a corporate branding exercise? Um, are are they kind of living? Are they living the support of, of LGBTQ, or is it is it a branding thing ultimately? Yeah, and I think it's a really difficult question, and I think I'm quite conflicted on this as well because I think there are um, examples of organisations who you know go through a brand refresh and I think it's called pink washing um and uh I think there are examples of that and there are firms who do it and they're absolutely doing the right things internally and they're living and breathing diversity inclusion so I think there is that divergence but then I'm conflicted in terms of what is it better that a firm is showing that outward image and actually 
is that helping to normalize and to mm. you know make people more aware and get discussions and it'll, you know to start discussions around this is that better than not doing it at all even if it is potentially for a branding thing so I'm conflicted and whilst I think it's important that firms actually if they are doing this from an outward facing perspective they do live and breathe it and actually the lived experiences of individuals in the firm or organization um, is reflective of that as well um, but at the same time you know if a firm is looking to do it more from a marketing or PR perspective while I think that is wrong I think it still has benefits for mm. LGBTQ plus people and society more broadly so it does happen in summary. Um, I'm, you know, conflicted in terms of, you know, right or wrong. I, uh, you know, I think firms need to focus on the lived experience of individuals, but I do think, you know, ultimately as well, that it, it can have benefits at the same time. It's funny. It's almost like it's, it, it's fine, but it's, it's definitely not good enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. No, no, absolutely. And, you know, we'd like to, you know, like to see more, absolutely. And, um, you know, I think it, it is quite interesting and often, you know, I think it's definitely uh, people are more aware about it now as well because of the, the reputational risk of mm. being seen or, you know, being seen to promote and be, you know, LGBTQ and plus inclusive. Um, flying the flag and you know saying and doing all the right things but actually the lived experiences of individuals being very different I think in the world we live in you know with LinkedIn and social media it's, it's all too easy for people to call out these sorts of behaviors and to mm. you know anomaly uh, you know whistleblow or you know whatever mm. so I think firms are quite cautious around when they do do it that they're able to back it up um, with you know evidence around and lived experiences of individuals within the organization. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think fi final question from from me, really, I suppose we've spoken a bit about the kind of the, the obvious business benefits of embracing DNI across across kind of the, the full spectrum. And I suppose with your kind of risk and regulatory hat on as well, you know, what what are we is there is there pressure or an expectation from kind of the FCA, the PRA to for firms to be better around DNI, for products to be better suited to all all groups of consumers I mean how does that come into yeah what we're doing as well yeah no, absolutely I think uh, we have certainly seen um, an increased level of focus from the regulators this year and towards the the back end of, of last year as well and they are definitely making a lot more noise in this arena and I think if you take, for example, the uh, the SMNCR regime um, and the powers that the regulators have through that, I think it's only going to increase as well. Um, many of the uh, speeches that um, have been made by executive directors of the PRA and FCA have had a reference to diversity inclusion and the importance of diversity inclusion often linking it back to as well the effectiveness of firms from a cultural perspective also as well looking at trying to um, uh, eliminate groupthink so the PRA and FCA are very aware of uh, boards and the diversity um, that uh, a board level and also as well the benefits that diversity brings at that level from a skills experience perspective as well given that if you have diversity um, of, of individuals 
you are effectively mm. able to make better decisions as well and more robust decisions in many cases. So they're, I think, starting to link as well that that diversity point and actually the the safety and soundness of the firms that they they supervise. I mentioned that you know many speeches have have featured um, uh, references to to diversity inclusion. Um, the PRA actually has within the PRA rulebook a reference to a requirement around boards having a, a diversity policy, um, which I don't know if many actual firms realise or recognise um, that is in the rulebook. Um, and again, I think this is something that the PRA will start to develop more over the coming months and years and actually use the SMCR regime to hold people to account Mm -hmm. around diversity inclusion. And also it's interesting, um, I think it was earlier this month, um, the PRA, uh, FCA and Bank of England issued a a joint discussion paper around uh, diversity inclusion within financial services. So looking to actually um, get feedback from the market around some of their thoughts and um, initiatives that are in train. So they're actually putting, you know, putting the feelers out there. highlighting and specifying that this is of interest to them and it is important and to get people's thoughts around this mm. as well so I think it's definitely an area of focus I think it's you know only going to grow as well and I think it's not just from a you know a UK perspective um, you know other regulators are, are looking at this in different jurisdictions and also mm-hmm. as well um, if you look at for example the European Central Bank and uh, EOPA from an insurance perspective again you're seeing messaging around diversity inclusion there so I think mm-hmm. it's only going to become a, a, a more heightened area of focus for the regulators. Which is really good to hear because I think that you know forces the hand or for, for, forces progress to happen a lot more quickly than otherwise um, it potentially might do. Maurice, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Unfortunately, we've run out of time. We could talk for ages about this particular issue, but um, it's been so wonderful having you on. It's so impressive to see what you're doing, both career-wise and also with the Link um, Network. And, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. It's fantastic. Absolutely. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, thank you for your time today. And, uh, yeah, it's been great uh, to be here. Thanks, Maurice. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to get in touch, you can do so at www.riskymix.uk. We'd love to hear from the inspirational individuals and companies who are walking the walk and changing the mix in our industry. And if you like what you've heard so far, please rate, review and subscribe to the Risky Mix podcast on Apple Podcasts and give us a follow on Twitter at risky underscore mix.